Hey, good afternoon, everybody. I'm Jonathan Hoffman. I'm the former Chief Pentagon Spokesman, and uh, I'm happy to be joining you at the virtual Net Zero Carmen Summit today, um, where I am actually going to have uh, and be speaking with uh, Andrew Wishnia. He's the Deputy Assistant Secretary for Climate Policy at the Department of Transportation. And this is a great opportunity for us to hear from DOT uh, about sustainable logistics and supply chain networks. And I, I know we Often at these talk about um, practitioners and, and what industry is seeing and what industry is doing. And, and this today will be an opportunity to hear from those in D.C. who design and implement policy that uh, affect uh, the supply chain networks, uh, affect our infrastructure networks, uh, and affect the spending of billions and even trillions of dollars uh, on those industries. So excited to have Andrew with us and uh, look forward to, to the conversation. Hey, good afternoon, uh, Andrew. Uh, thank you for taking the time to talk with everyone today at the virtual net zero carbon summit with Freightways. Um, this is a great opportunity uh, to hear from you and the Department of Transportation about sustainable logistics and supply chain networks. And I'm excited that uh, in addition to the, the normal contingency of practitioners in the industry that uh, our guests are going to have an opportunity to hear from someone today who helps set policy at the, the federal level for the entire transportation industry. Um, so, uh, uh, Andrew, I just start off just would ask uh, if you could tell the audience a little bit about your role as the Deputy Assistant Secretary for Climate Policy at the Department of Transportation. Um, you know, just some stats. I know DOT oversees uh, operation of uh, the transportation system, including 4 million miles of roads, 600,000 bridges, 100,000 railroad miles, uh, pipelines, waterways, uh, airports, and a whole bunch of other things. And so I know it's obviously a very broad mandate and it covers a lot of waterfront. Uh, so we just wanted to hear about your role as the, the Deputy Assistant Secretary. So uh, Andrew, take it away. Jonathan, thanks so much for the opportunity um, to, to be with you. Um, I'm the Deputy Assistant Secretary for Climate Policy, as, as you mentioned, the first Deputy Assistant Secretary for Climate Policy. I um, have the honor of leading climate policy across the Department of, of Transportation. The, the good news, though, is that we have uh, dozens of uh, leaders in climate policy across the Department of, of Transportation. For those not familiar with the Department of Transportation, we have the office of the secretary and I reside in the office of policy, in the office of uh, the secretary. And then we have nine modal administrations. And so to your point, we have uh, purview um, and jurisdiction over everything from pipes to highways to rail, aviation, motor carriers. Uh, we have the National Highway Traffic Safety Administ Administration under our purview um, uh uh, the Great Lakes Seaway, uh, uh, um, the Maritime Administration. Um, so we cover the gamut from, you know, ports and airports to rail, uh, highway and, and maritime issues. And, um, and we need all of those modes working together to address the, the climate crisis because that's at the end of the day going to take all of us. Um, and so we work in close coordination with all of our operating administrations to um, uh, to follow the um, directions that the president has provided through executive order and that Congress has bestowed to us through 
legislation that's been enacted, um, most notably the bipartisan infrastructure law um, in November, which was signed into law, which provided you know 1.2 trillion dollars, much of which you know provides us a significant opportunity to reduce greenhouse gases, and, and that's what we're endeavoring to accomplish. So, Andrew, how, how big a team do you have working with you? Uh, I know there's the difference between, you know, the team under you and then the broader team, as you mentioned, throughout the different modes of transportation. How big is that team um, that, that works for you and interacts with the, with industry? I work most closely with um, uh, a team within the Office of Policy that deals with climate and sustainability issues. So that Office of Environment has about a, do- a dozen folks Currently, um, within FY22, FY23 and going forward, we're, we're hoping to expand and augment some of our responsibilities, including, you know, buttressing and supporting the uh, infrastructure permitting improvement center. Um, and a lot of the work yep. that we have with managing, for example, the permitting dashboard um, and also supporting our work on both a resilient uh, front and on the mitigation side as well. So that's sort of our um, our direct management report. And then, uh, like I just mentioned, we work throughout the Department mm-hmm. of Transportation. You know, so f- fifty thousand you know plus folks to um, to implement presidential directives and directives from uh, from from Congress once once enacted as well. You mentioned the resilience plan. I know that the department came out with the climate adaptation resilience plan. And, and obviously, this is something you and your office spent a, a lot of time to put together. And I think you referred to it as a once in a generation opportunity to address climate risk. Uh, what, what do we need to know about that? What, what are your top lines and the most important um, elements of that plan? I think we have five top lines. So the climate action plan for resilience identifies five priorities for DOT to focus on. And just taking a step back for those that are listening in, the Climate Action Plan for Resilience was required by the president um, via executive order. So every executive agency produced a climate action plan for resilience. Um, Ours at the Department of Transportation, through the great work of the team that produced it, was was lifted up um, as, as a leading example. And it included five elements. Uh, incorporate resilience into DOT grant and loan programs, enhance resilience throughout the project planning and development process, ensure resiliency of DOT facilities and operational assets, ensure climate-ready services and supplies, and improve climate education and research on resilience. So at the end of the day, Jonathan, our, our I think, North Star as it relates to resilience is that DOT is committed to building a better, you know, more resilient transportation system that also mitigates the climate crisis by reducing greenhouse gas emissions. Um, to do so, we really need to embed and inculcate resilience throughout the transportation project delivery process. So it's not just, you know, siloed into a particular office or a particular operational um, uh, facet. So whether we're, yeah, can you, please. Can you give some examples of some of the resilience programs you're looking at and, and just in that transportation and in the infrastructure world? So exactly to your question, we have a lot of new programs within the bipartisan infrastructure law 
um, includes a lot of new discretionary uh, authority. So we want to make sure, first and foremost, that we're um, uh, uh, adhering to congressional direction and in doing so, ensure that all of our programs have considerations to the greatest extent allowable by statute uh, uh, to resilience. So that includes, you know, our um, airport facilities, that includes our rail facilities, that includes, you know, building back better um, into higher standards where it makes sense to do so on our uh, highway facilities and our port facilities. The extreme weather that we've seen, um, whether, you know, we're talking about the buckling on I-5 or whether we're talking about some of the extreme weather in, in Texas or the land loss in Louisiana, it's at this point affecting the entire uh, world for, for sure and, and our entire country. So, um, you know, we, we don't see this as a as a blue state issue or a coastal state issue or a red state issue. We, we see this as a common sense issue. And, um, and we're, we just want to make sure that there's an efficient stewardship of taxpayer dollars as, you know, we're entrusted with these dollars. Uh, resilience is really a core competency that, that we're hoping to, to build out throughout the department. So one of the key points that Secretary uh, Buttigieg has made is that the private sector uh, innovation, investment, climate change, resilience, and adaptation is needed. So, so what are you looking for industry to do? Where can they plug in, no pun intended, to this plan most productively? And how can small and medium-sized logistics and supply chain firms make changes that that'll register on, on your radar uh, and what you're trying to accomplish? So I think what I want to, you know, potentially impart to this audience is that addressing the climate crisis is going to take all of us. Um, and I think that's a message that that we hear from uh, the president. That's a message that we certainly hear from, from the secretary. So state and local leaders, I think to your question, Jonathan, should consider climate in all projects and in the planning process. Um, they should take advantage of the funding opportunities available to support climate-friendly projects, you know, whether that's the Safe Streets and Roads for All program and the transportation alternatives um, suballocation, whether it's the charging and fueling infrastructure grants, whether it's the carbon reduction program and the 65% that's suballocated to localities. Um, you can also use RAISE Infra or the MEGA grants to invest in multimodal projects that are good for climate. The PROTECT grants, which I, I'm happy to speak a little bit more about because that's over $8 billion that's specifically geared and oriented toward transportation resilience projects. But DOT is deploying all of its available resources you know, to make it easier for people that choose low carbon and efficient forms of transportation that are accessible and convenient. And when you're asking about what it is that we're looking for, I'll give you some illustrative examples. Within the PROTECT program, for example, there are carve-outs for evacuation routes. So ensuring that we have redundancy just in case there's you know any sort of um, uh, crisis where people need to um, get in or out of um, uh, their community. Um, coastal uh, um, uh, uh, coastal uh, discretionary grants as well, given the fact that there's you know stormwater surge and, and other sorts of 
um, uh, flooding um, in high tide scenarios. We want to make sure that both, um, you know, not only folks on the East Coast and West Coast, but anybody impacted by storm surge has um, has opportunities to uh, use those dollars to build back better, um, uh, recognizing what has um, uh, impacted their communities in the past. At the end of the day, we don't want folks to necessarily build back to the same standard if they are continually impacted by extreme weather events that are causing them to rebuild new assets. Uh, we want. So we're looking at, at this being kind of focused on, on some of the net zero carbon um, footprint efforts, you know, in addition to the resiliency efforts with um, some of the logistics firms, uh, freight and, and trucking and others. Um, how can, how can those, those companies plug in, you know, in addition to, I think, as you were describing what, what some of the government and, and other agencies can do, how can, how can those companies plug into those efforts to uh, address their carbon footprints with, with what you are doing under, under these plans? Yeah. I, I think that companies can plug in, in a variety of ways. You know, I, I think the way that we interact, for example, with state departments of uh, transportation is to work closely with them, you know, on our priorities, including the formula programs, including the discretionary grants um, that states are eligible to apply for on the state side. And companies can look for ways to, you know, provide for complementary systems. Uh, one, two, they can apply for a lot of the discretionary grants that are available. Um, three, they can look to interact with state departments of transportation who need partners in building out things like um, charging infrastructure or resilience projects or, you know, bicycle or, or pedestrian projects. A lot of this stuff, you know, might not necessarily have the expertise um, immediately in-house. And so I think uh, companies can work, you know, with the public sector to ensure that there is some sort of complementarity um, with respect to their projects, either by working directly with them on those projects or um, or ensuring that that their projects are talking to um, public projects as they move move forward. Okay, that, that's helpful. What you know, we talked a little about problem sets. What about the metrics for success? So, what do you and in the department and the, the secretary consider success through some of these efforts and ways that um, our partners in the logistics and, and supply chain industry can can benchmark against? Is it you know X number of, of metric tons of, of carbon removed? Is it uh, additional charging stations? Is it additional electric vehicles? What, what are you using as measures of success that that this industry can can benchmark against? I think success means driving down emissions in line with the president's goals. You know, so net zero emissions economy wide by 2050, and a 50 to 52 percent reduction by by 2030. I think the president has has been very clear about that sort of benchmark for success, um, meeting Justice 40 goals at least 40% of the benefits of clean transportation investments go to underserved and disadvantaged communities. Um, you know, striving for a circular economy, driving toward, um, you know, not only net zero by 2050 and a 50 to 52% reduction by 2030, but to the greatest extent possible, also driving toward zero waste 
um, ensuring that our infrastructure is resilient to the impacts of climate change. Um, and I think people just want to experience a cleaner, safer, more modern, better functioning transportation system. And, and that's something that we're trying to work on. I know you've got to balance some of the priorities. So you talked about resiliency and redundancy, you talked about driving down carbon emissions and some of these others. You know, you, there's a lot of money that was, came through in the bipartisan infrastructure bill, I think of 1.2 trillion. How are you determining allocations of that? So for example, you can spend a billion dollars and raise a highway above floodwaters or spend a billion dollars and put in additional electric charging stations to reduce carbon footprints. How, how are you guys making that calculation and, and how can you know industry or others that would like to provide insight and in, into what would be most beneficial for, for the industries to, to weigh in on those? So there's two pots of money. One are formula pots with, you know, wide amounts of latitude and flexibility um, for state DOTs uh, primarily, um, but communities, depending on if the program is so-called sub-allocated, if it's provided to communities based on, on population. But there's a wide amount of flexibility for states to determine how to use their resources with the guardrails that Congress has, has provided. Um, so, for example, in the highway space, that's the vast amount of, of funding. On the discretionary side, there is more discretion from the Department of Transportation to set some you know, rules of the road and to articulate administration values around you know, economic competitiveness, around safety, around equity, around climate and, and so forth. And that's what we're trying to um, imbue um, across our discretionary grants, particularly with resilience to your earlier question, Jonathan. We want to make sure at the end of the day, first and foremost, that our systems are are safe, but we also want to balance um, you know, some other priorities around resilience so that mm -hmm. people aren't throwing good money after bad. Um, and that our systems are more equitable at the end of the day and are reducing emissions and, you know, those negative externalities um, that, that are, are causing adverse health impacts. Um, so I think that's how companies can be thinking about what to expect from the Department of Transportation, you know, now and, and, and going forward as well. Okay. And, and one, this is kind of a little bit of a different uh, edge, but just hoping if you have some insight you can share on. Uh, the federal government is is one of is not only a regulator of industry um, and a consumer of goods, but it's also owns some of the largest integrated logistics networks. Whether you're talking about the post office with hundreds of thousands of employees, or the Department of Defense with billions of dollars of of logistics networks in place, um, but you also end up with with how are they improving their networks and their their systems uh, in ways that are um, are, are trending toward uh, carbon net zero emissions, and, and what lessons can we learn or can you share uh, with with industry for what has been successful or are you looking to do with those those networks? So I think, correct me if I'm wrong, Jonathan, but I think you're talking more about the the federal fleets than than you know potentially the, the public yep. fleets, uh, the postal service. Yep. So so the Department of Defense and is you know whether it's it's new fuels or. Yep post office doing electric vehicles. Like what are, what are the lessons you guys have learned about some of this? Cause I know there's been challenges in trying to transition some of those to, to 
fully embrace some of the uh, available technologies? Yeah, it's a great question. L- let me just provide uh, some framing. So President Biden, you know, signed an executive order on catalyzing America's clean energy economy through federal sustainability. Um, under this executive order, the federal fleet is leading by example. So that executive order is 14057. And in that executive order, the president has called on the federal government, you know, to tackle the climate crisis by setting ambitious goals to convert federal fleet vehicles to zero emission vehicles. Um, that executive order directs federal agencies to achieve 100% zero emission vehicle acquisitions by 2035, including 100% zero emission light duty vehicle acquisitions by 2027. Um, the Department of Transportation is pursuing all opportunities aggressively to transition its vehicle fleet to zero emission vehicles. In FY22, just illustratively, DOT identified um, over 400 federal fleet vehicles that could be converted to zero emission vehicles and is working hard to make that happen. And then in FY23, DOT is going to continue to significantly advance the transition of all eligible vehicles to zero emission vehicles. Um, so these acquisitions are a significant step toward, you know, eliminating tailpipe emissions of greenhouse gases from the DOT fleet and aligning the DOT's fleet operations with the goal of achieving a fully ZEV federal okay. fleet. In addition to electrification, you know, something I think that the federal fleet um, has worked on for some time now is this issue of telematics of ensuring that, you know, its operations are as efficient as possible. So tracking, for example, mileage, tracking, you know, consumption, tracking um, uh, all of the different sort of constituent parts so they know how to most efficiently get from point A to point B. That is something that was required in Executive Order 13693 um, uh, during the Obama administration and something that uh, federal agencies and federal fleets in particular have metabolized and uh, and, and, and worked to scale, just as, as one example. So, so I'm going to ask you kind of a, a, a question that may seem a little bit out of left field for, for yours, your policy background, but what tools are you using um, to measure some of, of these uh, infrastructure impacts? Uh, you know, there's there's been a dramatic increase, I know, from the industry side in data and the availability of data um, to monitor and track. Um, a lot of companies are, are developing, you know, carbon tracking or, or, or there's companies and, and firms that are providing carbon tracking as an analytic tool. Um, what, what tools and what, uh, what, what efforts are you guys using to, to track that, to better understand, you know, where are the, the, the bottlenecks and where can the best bang from the buck come in, in this carbon net? zero efforts. Uh, what data and analytic tools are you guys using to do that? So I think it depends on the program, but there's a wide variety of tools that each of our modal administrations offer, um, you know, to uh, uh, facilitate implementation of each program. So, you know, we have data analytic tools for freight, for, you know, the congestion, um, for the CMAC program, Really across the board, we have a whole variety of tools and we're trying to build out tools and build out capacity. You know, I think over the course of yeah. the next five years, we're going to have something like over an additional thousand people at the Department of Transportation. And so we've been provided 
resources. And now we have to make sure that folks are able to kind of track, measure, and manage those resources most efficaciously. So I think your question is a good one, Jonathan. We need to make sure that we have tools that are helping states um, manage the allocation of those resources efficiently. We do have... Because we're seeing we're seeing an explosion of, of what we call freight tech that's that's really um, changing the visibility and the transparency of what's going on in the in the, the networks and just want to kind of get a sense of how that is is interacting with what you guys are doing on the policy side. Yeah, we have. Uh, yeah. Okay. Um, last question. I know. I know. Time's valuable, and we're, we're getting here on a on a busy day. Um, you know, the infrastructure bill, as we talked about, one point two billion. Um, that's going to dedicate 1.2 trillion, sorry, to dedicate um, loads of, of cash to projects and improving infrastructure. Um, can you indicate, can you point to any, any short-term, near-term projects that are going to accelerate, you know, the low carbon freight, whether rail, electric trucking, shipping, anything where that money is going to go too quickly, or are we going to, is it going to take uh, many more years until we see some of that, that money show up in, some of these low carbon initiatives uh, that address kind of the, the supply chain logistics and freight world. So I think you've already seen a number of announcements as to what it is that we've been able to uh, push out the door. And the good news is that I think we're you know trying to be as transparent as possible about what additional notice of funding opportunities are to come. So if you go to our w- website, um, dot.gov, and you go to the bipartisan infrastructure law tab, you'll be able to see what NOFOs we have on the docket, you know, not only for um, this month, but for May, for for June and stretching out into the summer. Um, so we've had a wide variety of NOFOs that have already hit the street with respect to um, air traffic terminals and with respect to the port infrastructure development program, um, the transportation alternatives program. We're going to have uh, some other NOFOs uh, potentially come out later this week. Um, the PIDP program, I think for your audiences, uh, is particularly relevant to, to lift up um, because a, a lot of those funds, you know, will will go to help drive uh, freight efficiency and, and reliability. Um, and by the way, that provides additional funding for resilience and, and, um, and emission-related projects as well. So we're really excited about that augmented program and, um, and and the resources that accompany it. And we're looking forward and working assiduously to get as many NOFOs out the door as, as quickly as possible. Great. Well, um, Andrew Wishnia, the uh, Deputy Assistant Secretary for Climate Policy at the Department of Transportation, appreciate you joining us at the uh, Net Zero uh, Carbon uh, Summit today. And uh, with that, I just throw it back to you if there's any closing comments or anything else you want to share that we didn't get to. Um, but, but really appreciate you taking the time to, to come talk. It's always good to hear um, from policymakers uh, what's going on in Washington and how it can affect uh, those on the ground. It's, it's an honor, Jonathan, to be with you and your audience. And, um, you know, if, if folks have any thoughts or ideas about how to uh, implement our policies, you know, to drive down emissions, to make our our system more resilient, more reliable, um, and to, you know, create a um, uh, emissions-free transportation system in line with presidential directives. Uh, we'd look forward to, you know, working with you to, to hearing from you. And, uh, and thanks so much for giving me the, the platform to, to do so here. 
All right. Thanks, Andrew. Thanks, Jonathan.